And so I never set out to build a personal brand. I set out to share what I'm doing as I'm doing it. Welcome to Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their career through a strong personal brand. Rep Your Brand is hosted by Nick Bennett, one of LinkedIn's top voices on field marketing and personal branding. In each episode, Nick captures stories on how to overcome the challenges marketers face with growing their brand. So if you're a marketer looking to open doors and create opportunities that you never thought were possible, then listen in to get tangible tips and strategies to build your very own personal brand. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their careers through a strong personal brand. I'm Nick Bennett. This podcast is brought to you by my friends at Motion. They're a done-for-you podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams and B2B tech. They're two of the nicest guys around, and the work that they do is truly world-class. You can find them at motionagency.io. And today, I'm incredibly excited because our guest is Dave Gerhardt, CMO at Privy, and someone that I, along with probably most marketers listening to this podcast, I've learned a ton from. So Dave, thanks for joining me. Oh, that's super kind of you, Nick. I appreciate that. Happy to be here talking about my favorite thing. It's starting to get nice out this time of year. So everything is good right now. Awesome. So everyone probably knows who you are. So I'm just going to kind of jump into it. And so I wanted to kind of kick this off with something that you said back in August of 2019. You said personal brand is the new company brand. How does that statement feel today? This is when I get nervous and people go dig in the tweets. I love it. So I think that the reason I believe in that is there's a new era of B2B marketing where people want to work with people. And I think especially in in B2B, like think about what B2B is, right? B2B is you're selling to a company. And so if you're selling to a company, there's a bunch of different factors that matter more than if you're selling, you know, $12 phone case on Instagram. It's like, is this person credible? Are they an authority on this topic? Are they an expert? Do they have proof, trust, credibility, validation, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think increasingly what's so powerful about what you can do today if you're a B2B brand is like you can have the people inside of your company be seen as experts externally to the world. You know, in, in the past, it used to be like, maybe if you're in the top 1% of a company, you might get the CEO on CNBC and that's a big thing. But like, we see it at, at companies today where you can have two or three people that are uh, public figures and that's all relative. Doesn't mean you have to have 100,000 people following you, but like you can build relationships with people outside of your company by being a person. And so that is Nick. He is a thought lead. He seems to be a thought leader in marketing. I'm going to trust the company that he works at. And so I think that it has tremendous benefits for a brand where people don't want to work with a nameless, faceless company. They want to work with real people. And so it's great to have people that can share your own personal story outside of the company. And I've seen it. I specifically saw it at Drift that that worked fantastically to help us build that brand. But I actually believe so much in this. I'm writing a book about it right now that it's going to be called Founder Brand, but it's all about how being the face of your brand and sharing your work publicly is the single best thing you can do to build the brand. And so it's really hard to build the brand when people try to build it as the logo. And you see this, people struggle with this all the time. They just post crap on their company LinkedIn page because they don't know how to be a person, but also be the company. And so my strategy is just like, forget about that entirely and just be a person. Like right now at Privy, 
you have Ben, who's the CEO. You have Dan, who's in, who runs product and brand marketing. You have Connor, who's in product marketing. You have Lauren, who writes all the content and manages the podcast. Those are the personalities that you see via social media, and that's helped build a brand at that company as, as another example. Nice. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It was actually when I kind of got... I started my journey on posting on LinkedIn daily was I worked for Clary, Kyle Coleman, who's well known out there for the SDRs. He kind of put out a contest to his team and it just kind of funneled in every single day. It's, I always tell people that there's a lot of people that don't believe a personal brand will impact the company brand. And I, I completely disagree with that. And it just kind of goes back to what you said as well. And that actually brings me to my next question is, you know, what's your definition of a personal brand? I think you mentioned something that's important that we should talk about in that, which is like, it's not for everybody. You don't have to do this. And so I am not like giving this, people get fired up when I talk about this because they're like, if you are not already on Twitter or LinkedIn, then like, I'm not expecting you to go cold and all of a sudden be the face of your company. But like, I was already super active on Twitter. You were already super active on LinkedIn and Twitter. And and so all I did was channel that into, huh, it works really well when you have a passion for something, right? It's like, if you're just doing it because someone in your company told you to do it, it doesn't work. It's the same way when you're like, hey, we're doing a product launch today. Will everybody post on social media? And it works if the people are passionate about it, that then they'll do it. And so I think like, what's unique is that it, within B2B, you see people like, I love marketing and I got to like do marketing and I and that grew my passion for it. And so I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to build an audience and focus my social media content not on I have lots of other things that I do in life that people don't know because I don't share them on LinkedIn and Twitter. I kind of only talk about marketing on LinkedIn and Twitter. What changed for me in building an audience was when I focused that on specifically marketing because I decided marketing is a thing that it'd be valuable. The question is like, what would it be valuable for you to be known for, you or your company? And for my case, it's marketing. And so I focus all my effort on that. You don't see me posting about golf or my kids you know, often on, on Twitter or working out, whatever things I do because I focus my energy on, on, on that. And so if you're somebody who inside of a company is super passionate about your thing and oftentimes you are, how many, like Nick, how many PM, I know so many PMs that are like super passionate about being PMs and it's the same thing, like share your story on social media and that will help build your brand. And so it's not for everybody, but if you're people inside of the company, if you're a video producer and you love video producing, but you're the only person really doing it for B2B, then like make that be your niche for like, I'm going to build an audience from, I'm going to build a brand for myself as the B2B video person. And I'm not going to share my own, I'm not going to promote my own stuff. I'm going to be doing commentary on what everybody else is doing. And so I think like, not for everybody, but if you have a passion for it, that's when this really works well. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Well said. So I guess going back to, you know, what is your definition of a personal brand? If you could say like one quick sentence, like what would you go with? I think it's building a reputation. I think it's building a reputation. I think your brand is your reputation. And shoot, that was really concise. Good. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, so I was going to say something like what I said before, which is like something you want to be known for. And I think that's important, but I think that's the selfish benefit. I think ultimately is like, it's your reputation. Oh, that is on brand for him. Like, oh, that is on brand for, for her. That is what they do. And so the reason why I think it works so well in 2021, though, is that the way to build a reputation today is online, especially the last year where like we haven't seen anybody. <laughs> There's no networking events. And so it's the way a, rest a restaurant builds a reputation online, right? You might read a review in your local paper. You might hear a friend talk about it. You might go to Yelp and read reviews. And like that's how you build a reputation. And the same is true with your brand. I think 
where people get turned off by it is they think that it has to be this like chest thumping, self-promoting, like I am the company of me where like, look, me building a personal brand has changed my life and career forever. And so I'm not going to listen to anybody who hasn't done it that wants to talk trash about that because the benefits have been insane. The benefits from every CEO that I've talked to has seen as beneficial board members, investors, VCs, advisors, like if you can do it, it is the most powerful thing because you now have a reputation. And so you have a reputation for, huh, we want to have somebody talk about B2B marketing. Who should we have? We should have this person. We want to partner with somebody who knows B2B. Like there's countless number of benefits. And I, I don't want people to get caught up in thinking that like personal brand means you have to be an a-hole because that's not true. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. And so for me, I actually went the route of field marketing. It's I've done it for the last eight years. And I realized very quickly, no one was posting about field marketing on LinkedIn, like tangible takeaways. So I went down that path. That's smart. That's a lesson in its, in its own right. Because like you didn't say I wanted to do marketing. You got the niche, like you focus on the niche of field marketing. Now, if you want to add many things to that it's beneficial, but like, man, it's so powerful. If you can just focus like you know, it's just focus on podcasting or just focus on paid media, just focus on field marketing. That's the way to build something is start small, start with that niche. Like they always say the riches are in the niches. And that's not just true from a revenue standpoint. It's true from building a following because what are you going to do is you're going to attract all the other field marketing people who didn't start talking about this publicly. And now you have this niche of even if it's only 40 people, if you got 40 people in field marketing who follow you and are interesting in your stuff, huh? Well, that's the connection to 400 and 4,000 and, and whatever. And, you, and in, especially when you're in, in a niche, it doesn't have to be big. You could have the, you could do a field marketing podcast and only, and have 40 downloads a month. But if it's influential people that have big budgets at field marketing budgets at those companies and you've built something really meaningful. Yeah, I completely agree with you over there. So I want to go into something else. So in two consecutive days on LinkedIn, you had one post that said you personally haven't built a personal brand. And then on the next day, you said that a founder who has a personal brand is one of the best marketing channels. This seems like two different takes to a personal brand. So should you build one or I guess not? Okay, so the first part of that is... It wasn't like the reason I, I share that, the reason I say that is because it's not like I woke up one morning, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a personal brand for myself. And that's okay because like we're doing this podcast. You could listen to this podcast and get inspired by us talking about this and decide you're going to go do it. The way that I did it was I can think all the way back to I was maybe 23, 24 years old working at a company called Constant Contact and I got really into marketing and SaaS. And I started kind of seeing there's people in this industry that like had, they were just like, they worked at a company and they had a blog. I remember specifically, there was a guy named, there is, he, he still is, a guy named Scott Britton. He's a founder of a company called Troops now. And he was at this company, Single Platform at the time. And he had a personal blog called like Life, I think it was like Lifelong Learner. And I was like, I was in awe of this guy. And he's, he was younger than me. He had his own blog. And I thought that was so cool like to just be building an audience based on your thoughts. And I got really into marketing. And I was like, I want to start a marketing blog. I want to start a marketing newsletter. And I just, I didn't do it until I started this podcast called Tech in Boston. And that was my first kind of like little side project. And then after that, I channeled all my efforts into marketing. And so what I did is I didn't set out to build a personal brand. What I did was I just started sharing what I'm doing and what I'm interested in marketing as I'm doing it. 
and the result of that was a personal brand. But I think I stole this line from David Perel about like writing, but it's like when you share your work in public, what happens is you just start to attract this like, it attracts like-minded people. It's what we talked about with like you you sharing about field marketing. And so what happened is it becomes this self-fulfilling thing where like the more I shared about marketing, the more marketing people followed me, the more I was in those conversations, the more audience you start to build around marketing. And so I never set out to build a personal brand. I set out to share what I'm doing as I'm doing it. You'll have to tell me your second question now though. Yeah, absolutely. So the second part was the next day you said, you know, that as a founder who has a personal brand, it's one of the best marketing channels. So yeah, I was interested in that. It's one of the best marketing channels because I think the single best ingredient in marketing today is expertise. So if you want to go to, you want to go to the restaurant where this guy, Nick has been making sushi, you know, it's his family recipe, you know, or whatever the dish is, right? For 20 years, he's the only one who knows it. Like it's the same with B2B, right? Why did early customers buy from Drift? They bought early from Drift because those were the guys that were really influential at HubSpot. They built software and sales and marketing for 20 years. Like my job as a marketer was like to play into that story because it boosts the brand's credibility and reputation. And so the reason it's such a powerful thing for if you're a founder most of the founders that are that are in this space didn't just like wake up one day and be like, you know what, I want to go start a B2B SaaS company. It's like, no, I was... Here's an example. Eric Yuan, the founder of Zoom, right? He was VP of engineering at WebEx. WebEx got acquired by Cisco for $2.6 billion, right? You're damn sure they use that as a story for building Zoom, for building the credibility of Zoom. And so I think it's like, it's such an important ingredient to build the credibility same thing though, in that founder's mindset, the founder shouldn't be thinking about, I'm going to go build a personal brand. Nope. All you should do is share your expertise publicly, not as it relates to your company, but just be a voice, be a thought leader in the space, be sharing your vision and what's happening beyond how it relates to your roadmap, but like having an interesting take and having an interesting perspective. That's how I would think about that. Nice. Yeah. That's incredibly well said. You you touched on something about personal projects and things. So I want to kind of go back to that piece of it. So how do you feel about people on your team pursuing personal projects to grow their own brands? I think they should all be fired. Everyone should spend all of every minute, every waking minute from nine to five thinking about the company. That's my take. I have always believed that people should have side projects because I'd be the biggest hypocrite if I didn't say that. I think the number one thing that helped grow my career, there's two things. And Going to Drift was obviously a huge one, which is like the number one thing, which is like joining a rocket ship company in the early stages. I learned more in that four years than I think you could learn in 20 years at some places. But on top of that, even before that, what even got me the job at HubSpot and Drift before that was that I started this podcast called Tech in Boston because I was working at HubSpot Actually, I was working at Privy the first time when this happened and I was, wasn't even in marketing. I was account manager. I was like the CS guy. And so what was awesome was having tech in Boston. I still got to scratch that itch. I wasn't like, Oh, I don't get to do marketing in this job. I was like, no, I'm scratching my marketing itch by having this side project. And so that taught me like I had to learn how to do a website, learn how to set up a podcast, learn how to hire freelancers for audio production, learn how to sell sponsorships, right? So I had to learn all those things. And so that's just one example of like, I was able to sharpen my skills outside of my job 
And even now, like hosting, as an example, like doing all the DGMG stuff or hosting B2B marketing leaders podcasts, I'm talking to the best CMOs and marketing leaders in this industry four or five times a month. It's like silly. It's cheating. Like I get to then take that the information back to my team at Privy, for example, and like change how we do something or question how we do something. And so I've seen it in a wide spectrum of, of examples have an impact on me. And so I would be hypocritical to not say like that other people should, should have their own, should have their side project. Like let's say you're a video editor, you do video production and you really want to like start to be more rounded on the kind of content production side. And so you build an Instagram page and it's a meme page, but you focus on that and you make videos for that. Like that's great. You're sharpening your skills. You're rounding yourself out. And I think you're also, it, it just, look at the end of the day, the founder this is a dirty secret in SaaS that nobody wants to talk about. But like, even though they give you equity, I'm not going to care. You or me or whoever, and this is not a knock, we're not going to care as much as the founder because we don't have 30, 40, 50, however much. We don't own a huge percentage of the company. And so it's not our thing. And so at the end of the day, people want to have their own thing and have their name on it. And so I, I totally believe in the you know ability of having a side project. And I think, to be honest, I think it's even accelerated in the last year and a half. The majority of marketing people listening to this podcast are working from home. Yes, we're in a blessed industry in that like we're not working the factory jobs or we have very easy jobs compared to people who have to go in. It's a luxury that I can sit in this freaking office and do this podcast with you, but it's the reality of it. And so now my philosophy on it is like, it doesn't matter if you're, it only matters if you're not achieving the results and doing the things that you have agreed to with your manager, your boss and, and the company. So, yeah, I, I agree. And so, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I was fortunate enough to start this podcast is like, I get to talk to amazing people like you. And so I run account-based and field marketing for Alice Boston company. And so like, I've been able to take so many ideas from talking to people like yourself, Chris Walker, Justin Welsh, Morgan Ingram, like, and like, implement that in my day-to-day life. And like that is priceless for me like, right. to be able to have these conversations. But what people will say back to you is, well, what if Nick becomes so valuable that there's other opportunities that are beyond Alice? Oh my gosh, Im- imagine that. Imagine you had, look, if you, if you don't think the best people at your company are getting recruited all day, you're probably getting messages on LinkedIn and emails all the freaking time anyway. And so I just think it's such a, maybe not growth mindset is the word that I'm looking for, but I think the upside of it weighs tremendously over like, nope, let's not let Nick share anything. Like once he's at this company, we got to, you know, he's got to sign a contract that says like, I will not do anything outside of the office. And if they asked you of that, I hope that you'd be asking for double the salary that they're going to pay you anyway. So Exactly. That was actually one of my big things is like, if a company ever told me that I couldn't post on LinkedIn and nowhere like you, but I was able to go from like 2000 to almost 18,000 followers in under a year. It was just telling like personal stories. And like, if someone ever told me that I couldn't do that, that would be a complete red flag for me. Yeah. And it's like, look, I'm sharing some stuff that we're doing at the companies that I work at it's not trade secrets. It's like, we had a meeting today that was an hour long and here's how we... like. It's silly. I've found that none of the people who ask that question are ever are people who are actually like doing that from a content and media and brand building perspective. I think if you talk... like You and I are relating on this topic because you've done it and you've seen the benefits of it. And it's like, I want other people to do that. I want people on my team to do that because I've seen the benefit of it. I, you know, I think... 
there's a person on my team right now at Privy who has become an amazing, well-rounded marketer simply because he's doing other things on the side. There's a guy who's literally, here's an example. He's running an e-commerce business. At Privy, we sell to e-commerce businesses. I think he's become one of the best product marketers in the space simply because it's not, he's not like just, tra- hey, the, the product management team told us the, this is how the new release is going to work. Like he's actually doing it. He's testing it out. He's using the product. He has data. He has stories and it's so valuable. And it's especially valuable if it can be related to your space. Like they would have, nobody would have any problem with me if I was selling, if I had a million dollar business on the side selling sneakers. That's true. Nobody would be mad at you if you had a blog about cooking and you were monetizing that. This is your passion. This is what you like to do. I think there's huge benefits for the company as well. Love that. Love that. So this is a pretty straightforward question. Are you a B2B marketing influencer? I would say yes, but that's not me being a like an egotist. Is that the word? Did I make that up? No, I think it's good. It's that like I'm only saying this because it's, it's such a fact now. Like there's multiple people that I know that I work with that I posted one thing about one company one time and and I heard from somebody on their team that it was like the biggest week of demos that they had in a time frame. And so I'm like, I'm just using data like that to be like, yeah, this is not me saying that. I have multiple people that I know that have said I have gotten multiple clients, million dollars worth of pipeline for video design, creative projects because you've shared that we're working together on this. And so I would say yes, but... If you think about what an influencer actually means, I think the Instagram booty pictures like world has skewed people's perspective of an influencer. Like, I think to me, what an influencer just means, like, do people look to that person for an opinion or trust and credibility in that industry? Do your customers listen to that person? I think that's all that means. And yeah, I've built up a little bit of an audience over the last couple of years. And I think there's some slice of people who listen to things that I say and might go do them. And so, yes, I do. Yep, absolutely. No, I, I agree with you. And uh, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there because I think that you are, but it's confirming to hear that. Yeah, but so is like, so is the CMO of Salesforce if she chose to write on LinkedIn about whatever, but she doesn't. So I think it's about having expertise in an industry and having a reputation and having people trust that person's opinion. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, you've done a lot. A lot of people learn from you, but who are two to three people that you learn from? That's a good question. I would say the thing that, so number one, the thing that supercharged my, there's two people specifically in no particular order, but first was Mike Volpe, who's a CMO at HubSpot. I worked for him at HubSpot and then he was an early investor and advisor at Drift even before I had gone there. And so I got lucky because I had already known him from HubSpot and then I took the job at Drift and I got to basically just talk to him every week, every month and we built an incredible relationship. And so I learned a ton through him firsthand. And then David Cancel at Drift was the other one. He was a guy that like really took my, he had the foresight to see that like I had this kind of inkling of marketing passion and he was the one that helped me like light a match and and helped turn me into the the monster that I <laughs> that I am now. And so those are two people that I work with specifically, but I think on top of that, I'm trying to think cuz there's some secrets I can't share everything, but I think like studying the classics like David Ogilvy, I like I learned a lot from David Ogilvy. Don't know the guy. 
sure he's a nice guy. Oh, he's dead. And then Bill Bernbach is another one who Bill Bernbach ran an agency called Doyle Dane Bernbach. And he was one of the most creative marketers at a time where creativity was really corny. It was like, smoke cigarettes. They're good for you. Like that type of ad. And so it's a combination of people that I've worked with, which is like David and Mike in that example, but also going back and studying like who has influenced marketing and in, in this industry and, and studying some of the timeless classic stuff. And also even beyond a, a person, the one thing that I've just become obsessed with is learning about marketing. And so I'm a little burnt out on some of it now, but there was a time maybe a couple of years ago where I've seen every YouTube video of Dan Kennedy, copywriting class, Gary Halbert, everything from like that to sat to the CMO of Dropbox giving a talk at Saster. I've seen it. I've watched it. Like, this is what I do. This is what I watch on the weekends. This is what I listen to. Like, I literally got YouTube premium, which is only 12 bucks a month or something. They have a ridiculous feature where you can like, if you're watching a video on YouTube, you can't if you lock your phone, it goes away. Well, if you upgrade, you can get it. And so I would, I had a time where I would just be going to YouTube watching talks and seminars and lessons. And so I learned, like I got a master's in marketing, not just because I got to do it in the early days at Drift, but I paired that with learning. And so I paired that with all I did was listen to marketing podcasts. All I did was watch marketing videos. I bought marketing, old school marketing books. And so I think it's more of like this obsession of learning about marketing that was the kind of base layer to all of that. Nice. I love that. And, and you kind of touched on something else that I wanted to kind of go into is when should someone transition from a consumer to creator? Like when is the right time to say that you have like enough to say? I think you could start now because if you're doing it, I think V1 is like the easiest V1 is like share what you're doing. Like if I was a 23 year old community manager or product marketer or writer, and I wanted to build up a reputation as a writer, I would just be sharing like, hey, I'm new to this thing and I'm going to share what I'm doing as I'm doing it. Here we go. That would be number one. And so I think like, I think people get caught up in like waiting around till there's some like, there's some threshold, you know, I think for, I'm not old in this game. I'm 33. Like I've only been, I've been on social media for like five or six years sharing this stuff. There's decades ahead. I've only kind of feel like I found my groove in the last year or two. And so I think you need one, two, three, four, five years of just kind of putting stuff out. And like now you kind of like, the only reason I have takes now is because I've just put so much stuff out into the world. I know what, I know what resonates with people. And so like the whole thing in marketing and social media, it's just like, it's just the game is feedback, which is like, I know what things people are going to react to or have an, or, or be interested in. And doesn't, doesn't always mean a polarizing reaction, but like if you showed me two tweets or two pieces of content, I have a pretty good gut feeling for like, like which one would people resonate with or what are the things that get a reaction out of people online. And so I think that's only come because there was a period of four to five years where nobody was really listening and I'm just putting stuff out there. And I think the huge value that what I would say is the reason you should start doing this now is not to build up your following, but it's to find your voice, which is like everybody wants to blow up you don't have anything to say yet. And so I would rather have a couple of years where no one's listening because I'm going to get in my groove and I'm going to find what's the right way to share content. What are people interested in? That would be the best advice is like, who cares who's listening in the early days? Cause it's not for you. It's to find, it's not for them. It's for you to find your voice. Yeah. I wish I could like make that a quote because it's, it's so important. People just want to like hack their way to like overnight growth. And it's just, I mean, 
I started last March. And so like, yeah, I was getting for, it took me about five or six months before I started hitting the stride. But like, because I was giving tangible takeaways, like every field marketer out there, I've been able to start a field marketing group with over 200 field marketers. Now we meet monthly. I host like clubhouse rooms and like, it's been able to like form a really nice community that wasn't there before. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like this weird thing with building an audience, which is like, I'll see people now and they'll be like, well, that's easy for Dave. He has however many followers. And I'm like, you spend all this time like trying to build the audience, but then once you have it, they don't give you credit for it. (laughs) You know, like they think that it's some cheat, but like, I didn't just start doing this a year or two ago. I got on Twitter, like my first job out of college was I was an intern at a PR agency and they made me get on Twitter. That's what got me on Twitter. And so I was using Twitter to like find, to follow these companies that were my clients and I was writing tweets for them. And this was like, I had to literally write tweets, put it in a Google doc or word doc at the time, send it over to somebody. They would have to edit or like approve my tweets. Then we would send them out. So like I've been on social, like I've been doing this for enough time where I feel like you can start to figure out what works, but it takes time. But the value is like, is crazy. And so the only reason I'm able to to do something like DGMG, for example, now and monetize this audience is because I didn't come out of the gate. Here's this guy, has no credibility, has no wins under his belt, has no proof, has no success, and he's charging you for content, (laughs) right? Like people give me a hard enough time, I have some success and they're like, he's charging you for content, it's hard enough as it is. And so I think the earlier you can get out there, the better. And also like you can build a following on a lot of these platforms by being early and being consistent. Yeah, that's a good point too. And so I'm also, you know, I'm a part of DGMG. And so if someone wanted to get your attention and perhaps work with you, whether it be a privy or even DGMG, like how could they stand out to you? Show me that they have some type of value that they can add that actually matches a pain point that I have, right? Like I'll get a lot of messages like, I, you could be doing this. And I'm like, sure I could, but that's like, I have no interest in doing that Versus like, Hey, what if we ran your podcast for you and we took all the scheduling for you and we took all this stuff for you? Okay. This is super valuable. And so you mentioned having a sponsor on this episode, but I, I work with the awesome guy named Eric Jacobson who runs a company called Lemon Pie. He had me on their podcast last year. We hit it off. We stayed close. He came to me and was like, what if we did this together and you know we could take all the podcast editing and take this all off your plate and that's how we can work together. Now I'm referring him more than I talk about myself because he's amazing and his team is amazing and they've added value. I think everybody will email you and tell you like, I'll hustle for you. I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want hustle. I don't want, I don't want somebody texting me at, at six o'clock because I'm hanging out with my kids. Like I want to get stuff done. And so if you can take something and be like, I'm an expert or I have a skill set in this, whether that's video editing or SEO or whatever, I can take this, I'm gonna do this for you. That's the ultimate goal. But the way to get there is by saying, hey Dave, I noticed this thing. Did you know you could do it this way? Here's an example, I've done it this way for other people. I think a lot of people come with the ask, but the best ask is when you show me like, when you can actually show me like something that I'm doing wrong or something that's not working or something that could be better if I had done it your way. It's like, hey, I noticed that you're not ranking for this term. This would be super easy. All you got to do is this, like giving away. It's the same advice for what is good marketing, which is like give, 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 and then ask. That's the easiest way to try to work together. 
That's awesome. That's, that's really good advice. And so, you know, I think we're coming up on time. I want to be cognizant of your time as well. I just want to close with a few final questions for you. For the marketers who has never posted a single thing on LinkedIn, Twitter, any social media platform, what would you suggest they post about for the first time? And like, what would you give them advice for just like willing to wanting to get started? I would say first, don't do it unless you are passionate about your job or your career. Because if you're like, eh, I work in field, there's a difference, right? If you're Nick Bennett, I'm the field marketing guy. That's great. But if you're Nick Bennett, eh, I work in B2B marketing. I think it's lame. I think it's boring. I'm miserable all the time. Then of course, don't go on social. Like This is not for you. This is not for you. But if you are Nick Bennett who loves field marketing and you think that there might be something interesting here, then my advice would be go and share something about your niche today. Share your take. Okay, that's post number one. One thing that drives me nuts about field marketers is blank. Share that, okay? Next day you come back and you're like, huh, okay. Uh, Oh, I had a meeting today. Here's an interesting example. I think events are gonna come back more than ever. Here's why. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, now we got two posts. Okay, cool. Now you're starting to get somewhere, right? So I I think it's like the whole, like have an opinion about your kind of field and, and do your work public, share your work in public. That's where I would start. Nice. Amazing. I'm going to end it with what's your favorite resource could be online, could be offline that you rely on personally to keep up to speed and kind of keep your brand fresh. I think Twitter is probably the best way to do that. I think Twitter's like just by following the right people on Twitter or LinkedIn, for example, I don't have to worry about like, there's no, like, I got to go to this website to like catch up on stuff. Like I'm just always on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on social media. And so when you're following the right people for your industry, you're kind of opting into this feed, right? I'm sure my feed is different from your feed. You follow, you probably follow a bunch of field marketing people. And so you kind of have a finger on the pulse of what field marketing people are talking about. That's the way it just happens kind of by osmosis when you're on those channels. And then I I would like to pair that with like one or two things that you might listen to regularly. And so that could be like a podcast about field marketing, so as an example, like when I was trying to get up to speed on Privy, which is a new industry for me, e-commerce, Ben, who's the CEO, was like, hey, here's five people that you should follow on Twitter. And so I followed those five people on Twitter. And for like three months, I was reading every article that they posted, everything that they shared, because you want to find Seth Godin, I think this is in Purple Cow, called them the sneezers. You want to find the sneezers in an industry because when they sneeze, everybody else gets sick, which is a terrible metaphor in the, over the last year. But but it's a great example of like, th- that's how I got up to speed on e-commerce. I followed these four or five people who were influencers in e-commerce, founders, whoever, people that have built businesses. Okay, that helped me. But then I also picked this guy, Kurt Elster. He runs a podcast called the Unofficial Shopify Podcast. And I just binged listen to his podcast. Every time I went for a walk, I listened to his podcast. When I was at the gym, I listened to his podcast. When I was picking up my kids, I listened to his podcast. And so I think don't worry about trying to listen to everybody. Find a couple people that you think are like the tastemakers in that industry and follow them because they're going to kind of do all the curation for you. I think where people drop the ball is like, I got to follow everybody. And I did this for a while. I got to pay attention to everybody and everything. I think it's like, it's way better to find one or two people and just kind of go deep with them. And I know that like, here's an example. People love to hate on Gary Vee, but I love him because I think you don't have to like his personality, but I think that because of his company, he has a finger on the pulse of all of the latest tech and trends. And so what I do when everybody else is roll, might be rolling their eyes at him, I'm like, huh, he's been talking about this clubhouse thing for two months now. 
okay, I'm going to go explore it. And so I'll go listen to him talk about Clubhouse. I'll go listen to him to talk about NFTs. And so I don't need to go and read a hundred articles about it. I got my source of information. That's where I'm going to learn. That's where I'm going to start to form my own opinions. I think that strategy works really well. That's awesome. I definitely, definitely agree with that. So Dave, where can people go to learn more about you, DGMG, Privy, whatever we want to plug here, feel free. Yeah. I mean, Privy is Privy.com. And then I'm at Dave Gearhart on Twitter. Twitter's kind of like my front door for, for everything. So that's the best place to go. Cool. Awesome. Well, Dave, I appreciate it. Spending some time with us today. It was great having you on Rep Your Brand. Yes, sir. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to Rep Your Brand. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you learned something new today, it'd be great if you left us a review. We'll catch you next time.